So like I said, uh, this, this verse has been a theme verse for our church since we began. Now our church actually, just a little backstory, and I don't want to bore everyone too much, but just so you know, our church actually started back in 2003. Uh, Pastor Jeff Henderson, he started the church. He was actually sent here, believe it or not, by the Methodist Church years and years ago uh, to start maybe a new church. And in the season of that time where he was starting to, uh, we're not a Methodist church anymore, just so you know, that that was a long time ago, but a, a clear detail, that did happen. So he was in the process of doing that, and he was going through doing a Bible study, and one of the kind of like well reading plan like Kevin and I are talking about, but it was one, and he ran across the verse in First Thessalonians, and it kind of jumped out to him. And it stuck out to him as, you know, this is the kind of thing that a church should be like. And, you know, it, it became sort of a theme for him in that season. And then he moved up here and started from middle of Florida and came up here. And this church got started And I showed up in 2004, which is right when we had our first public service, which was Easter. So that means this coming Easter is our 20th anniversary, which sounds crazy to me, but it's really true. And then... Um, this verse has been in the background of everything we've done the whole time. And so let me just read it to you, which I'm sure some of you already looked at the wall. And what it says is this. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. And so let me give you a little bit of background of what this, where this is in the, book, the Bible, what it was meaning, and then some application. So I'm breaking it apart and then application to ourselves. All right. So Paul is writing this in the first Thessalonians. That's a letter to the church that's in a town or a city called Thessalonica, right? And they, you can find out, like, this story, their interaction with the city is in the book of Acts. So it's kind of cool because, you know, this one, there's, there, which we'll get into a little bit, there's like an understanding of how this church got started, what kind of environment they were in, and then he's writing this letter back to them because they didn't have email or anything like that. There was like, if I want to tell you something, i got to, like, write it down and send it to you, you know, or go and tell you to your face, you know. And this church was suffering some persecution. Like, things weren't going great. Like, people around them weren't exactly liking what they were doing. And uh, that's the context of where he's... So I'm going to read the first chapter and the beginning of the second chapter, and then we'll talk about it, all right? Because it's a letter, remember. So he sent this, you know, for them to have read in front of everyone. So he said, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. So that's like the, you know, dear part or... Nice to see you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because, you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you, for your, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from the idols to serving and li- to, the, to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So there's a lot in there that you're saying, but he's like, hey, guys, y'all are doing great. And in like a bad environment, you're doing great. So good that like people even know about it. Like I'm hearing stuff about it. And people are like, we're really proud of you guys. We're really happy about what's going on there. And he shoves a bunch of stuff in there at the end about like Jesus coming back and stuff. He's clearing up some things that people had been saying about what he was saying. 
But then we're going to go to verse 2. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit, our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. So it wasn't like they were like, everybody was super happy to hear it. It was like, we were able to tell you this, even though everybody wasn't all that interested. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. Like, we didn't come here to like, this is not a scam that we were doing. You know, we came here bringing the truth, you know. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. That's important. Because like a lot of times scamming people come in and, you know, you know you're awesome. And I, I mean, everybody else may not see it, but I see how awesome you are. And this is how they, they do things. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and then they're usually taking something from you, hence the greed. He's like, we weren't even, we weren't doing that. Like, we, 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 personally, they benefited nothing from doing this. It was actually dangerous. We are not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. So we came in weakness, and we also came giving care to you guys, spiritual and all this kind of thing. And then here's our verse. Because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And then it keeps going. But I'm going to... So remember, Paul and Silas had shown up in this town. And you see it in Acts 17. They've been traveling around, and they're telling people the gospel and you know, doing the kind of stuff that Paul would be doing. You know, hey, this Jesus guy, you know, the one I was trying to kill his followers, turns out he's God you know, news, and that matters a lot, and I'm going to tell you about that, you know, this kind of thing, and, and, and they would have differing reactions from places, and when they got to this one, and you see this in Acts 17, uh, Paul shows up, and he goes straight into the synagogue, because that's like, these, these Jewish people know the, te- know the scriptures, and they're waiting for the Messiah, they have, and Paul's like, all right, let me tell you about it then, let's go, and so he reasons with them, using the Old Testament, like, why this Jesus guy, who some people had heard about, or were starting to hear about, was in fact the Messiah. And he did it for like a long time. And this was an invited, like people could bring ideas and debate things and all this kind of stuff. But it didn't go so well. Well, it went all right, I guess. So uh, in Acts 17.4, you see this. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So So a church started there. And it was a church of Jews and Greeks, and it had a lot of prominent women in it. So that's what he's saying. Like our visit to you wasn't like it was. It was good. Like we had some fruit, but it that wasn't the only people that heard it. <laughs> and so, if you check out the rest in Acts 17, if you want to go read some of it, this crowd gets they get like really mad that this Paul guy is coming in and disrupting everything. And so they start this mob and they go to try to find him. And they were hanging out in the house of a guy named Jason, <laughs> and they uh, they sneak away and get away and end up going to Berea or whatever. But they get this Jason guy. They're like, you're the guy that had him all in here. And you see this in, uh, let me read this, in verse 6 of 17. But when they did not find them, Paul and Silas and all, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials shouting, these men have caused trouble all over the world and now come here. And Jason was, has welcomed them to his house. And they are all defying Caesar's decrees and saying there's another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. They weren't like, oh, good. 
It was Obad, and everybody was fighting, turmoil. And we don't have all the details, but I guess legally they made Jason and the others post-bond and then let them go. But by the, that's how the church started that Paul's writing this letter to, right? They had had Paul, Paul and Silas show up. They had done some reasoning in the synagogue. Some people were convinced. Most people weren't, and they were mad about it, and they had a mob to try to take them down, right? So that didn't happen when Pastor Jeff was starting this church. There was no mob <laughs> to um, take it down. But I do want to give you this context uh, because Paul and them did go on, but they kept a relationship. And they'd sent Timothy back to check on things and done some stuff, and heard good, like, they'd heard good news. This, is, this letter's coming later. I think I read it was written from Corinth or something like that. And so he's saying, hey, guys, I've heard all this great stuff coming from you guys. And remember, like, we loved you guys a lot. You know, not only did we love you, we loved you enough to come and share this gospel with you, but we also, like, lived there. Like, we loved you guys, you know. We lived with you. We shared with you our lives. So, here, so when Pastor Jeff ran across this all those 20 years ago, this verse jumped out to him as like, you know, that's what a church should be like, you know. And so what I want to do really quick is take this verse and kind of break it into some of the pieces that are there. And again, like, if, like I think Kevin's right. We'll at least annually do something like this to remind ourselves why is this important? Why is this the thing that, you know, God has had? And we've inherited this. Like, Pastor Jeff is no longer here. This church is, you know, some of us, we all worked with him or whatever, and some of us are, you know, new since then. But this has been a vision that's been part of what we've been doing here that we're inheriting. And so how we can understand some of this and maybe live into it in maybe new ways in the new year, right? So the first word that jumps out in this to me, because I'm not going to do this in order, all right? Because I could just go, we love you, and then we love you so much, and we love you so much, we delight. We could do that, and we will maybe do that another time. But this time I just feel like I'm going to take these words and talk about them, and, they are <laughs> and then we're going to see some different things, right? Okay, so whatever. Um, the first word is gospel. This is probably the most important the important thing that this understanding of what Paul and them were doing. Paul, if you, you know, newsflash in case you don't know in the book of Acts, Paul was like in a very important, um, he was, he was connected both in the government and in the religious authority. He was like a really smart, really connected, pretty, you know, he's a good, like, I don't know, connected guy. Right. And so he has realized that these new people that have keep talking about Jesus are ruining everything. And so he's like, let's, just kill them and arrest them and stuff. And so he starts doing that. So Paul's going around arresting and involved in, you know, you see him alongside of some of the people being killed. He's, he's, so he's against the church. And for some reason, God's like, that's the guy I need, just the guy. And so when Paul's going with letters to arrest more Christian people, Jesus himself shows up and he's like, and then uh, <laughs> Paul's like, who are you? You know, because he said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, who are you exactly? And he's like, I'm that Jesus guy. And he's like, oh, no, you know, and then this whole thing starts. But then he repents, and then he becomes, you know, the writer of a whole lot of the New Testament, you know. So he goes from being, uh, which this is something John and I were talking about just yesterday. People change when they encounter Jesus. And we're not always this, because you and I probably, I'll speak for myself, if we had been in the Peter group of the early church that was being killed by this guy, we would have been like, hey, we need some new leaders. I vote for that Paul guy. We would have been like, what is wrong with you? You know what I mean? Like, he's the one killing us, you know, or one of the ones killing us. But then Jesus is like, that's exactly the guy I need, you know. And after he meets Jesus, his life has changed. He's not the same person anymore, you know. 
And that's what the gospel does. And that's why I was going to bring this up. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. Okay? It's not just a plan of salvation, right? It always has to include that. Like, there's no way to tell the gospel that isn't encapsulating what it would mean for us to be saved, right? That good news that Jesus came, died on the cross, and through his resurrection, he offers the forgiveness of sins, the restoration of connection with God, and healing to the broken heart, and all that kind of stuff. You can't have the gospel without that. That's why, like, the most famous Bible verse in the world is probably John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's probably the smallest you know, version of it, you know. But if we only understand it as just a personal plan of salvation sort of thing, it's not very threatening. You might get a lot of, that's nice for you. I'm glad you feel better about, you know, yourself or God or something like that. That doesn't cause a mob. You see what I'm saying? They're telling the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, and the reaction is a mob, Right? And when they take the mob, when they get that Jason guy and they go before the courts, they're like, these guys are causing a, a riot and, or they're causing trouble because they're saying there's another king instead of Caesar, this guy named Jesus. And you could read that. It was like, okay, so they're, they're just making up some false accusations. It was like, no, that's actually what they were saying. That's why these people cared. You see, the gospel of Jesus, which includes how we can personally be saved, and how I can be healed, how you can be healed. It also is an announcement to the principalities and powers. If you remember going through Ephesians, you're not in charge anymore. <laughs> and you know what? They don't like that. It doesn't mean they win, but it does mean they cause mobs and things. And that's what these guys are dealing with. And that's what the gospel does. The gospel is an announcement that there's another king besides Caesar or another ruler, the right ruler of the universe is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And remember, just going through Christmas and the increase of his government, there will be no end. Other, <laughs> other claims to power and stuff don't like that. So they riot against it. And so the, this... Thessalonian church finds itself existing in an anti-Christian environment from the beginning because there's like a mob. Now their, their anti-Christian environment is like very pagan, you see, where they have a very uh, developed spiritual understanding of the world, right or wrong. They have an idea like, you know, there are spiritual forces and if you said principal, they would get what you mean and they'd have gods they worship and stuff like that. And our very anti-Christian world uh, would probably be described as secular. You know, it would be like just kind of anti-God or anything spiritual as well. You see what I'm saying? So we can relate to this because we live in a very anti-God culture, right? I mean, like, I mean, not everybody all the time, but our culture as a whole, if you take the net, pretty anti-God, you know? And I think a couple things to note. This can be encouraging to us because we're not the first ones to go through that. It's not like, oh my gosh, you know, Times have changed. I was like, have you ever been attacked by a mob because you follow? I have not. No, I'm not saying that all of us haven't. Some of us might have, but it's not a usual thing in the United States of America. However, I would say that knowing this piece of information, that we live in an anti-God world, 
we shouldn't expect people that are of that anti-God culture to act like Jesus followers. I'm not giving them an excuse. There's no excuse, you know, hence the gospel part. But it's like, you know, if you say, I believe Jesus is the king of the universe. I'm going to act like that. You know, and they go, well, I don't. I'm going to act like that. And be like, well, how, you know, you can't do that. You know, and we, f- we find ourselves tempted a lot in the church in America at times to try to use political power to force people to act like Christians who aren't. This is a dangerous territory. And, there, you know, there's, time, there's times and seasons for things, but then it's also like this is not our predominant occupation and probably shouldn't be something we do most of the time anyway. But we should realize we live in an anti-Christian environment, and that's okay. Paul's not going, hey, guys, let's give up and, you know, hang it up. I mean, this, they've won. I don't know. You know, it's, it's not like that. He's like, guys, this is great. This is doing really good stuff. This, the, you know, and he even says later, and I didn't get this in chapter three, he's like, he's like yeah, I told you we were going to experience some rough stuff. I mean, like, and he even says, like, kind of to the side, he's like, I don't have to tell you, you saw it, you know. So um, the gospel, the gospel is this thing we have, and we're going to share it. So we'll get to that. But let's go to another word, lives. And this is a, a word that, you know, I think in the context of this is uh, everything, you know. He's like, I didn't come to you with just words. You know, he talks about that he showed up with this gospel of Jesus that was being demonstrated with power. But he's also saying we came and we shared with you our lives. Like, we weren't, like, distant. You know, we were involved with each other, like, we didn't keep you over here, you know. We did things together. This is the church. He's like saying this as a model. Like the church is a group of connected people, you know. It's not something you kind of can do all by yourself. You need other people in your lives, and you need them in yours. And your life is all the rest of this stuff. I kind of like how when we did this over here that the word lives ended up being really big. You know, that was probably somewhat coincidental, but... It's a good reminder, you know, because as Christian people, we can do a lot of talk, you know, especially somebody like me who stands up in front of people. This is a really weird thing to do. You stand in front of people and talk about God and they listen. It's, it's an odd, it's an odd thing, you know, but then if you go home and don't live it out, you know, what's the point? You know, talk is cheap. John 15, 13 says this greater love has no man than this to lay down his life for someone else. Lay down that life. There's life they're sharing. You know, and, and I think what I hear in those two verses kind of coming together is Paul was saying, we shared some of that with you. Like, we gave some of our life to you. Like, they could have gotten killed from this thing. They didn't this time, you know, but it was like, we shared this with you. So another word, which is tied to this, greater love has no man than the one who laid down his life for his friend. So love, right? Th- this love, uh, I think I put love with, yeah, because I really want to focus on the word love, but technically it says loved, so love or loved, whatever. Um, this is the motivation to do what we do. Remember, Paul got in here and he was saying, he's like, we didn't come here flattering you. We didn't come here to earn people's approval. We didn't come here to do any of those things. We came here because we love you, you know? And he's like, some of you, like, we loved you. We didn't even know you yet. You know, it's like this thing that God puts in them that they just, they love the people just because. And so this has to be the motivator. And proven by things like this greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friends like giving of yourself for the sake of other people this is core christian stuff and it's all found in this verse 
I'm going to make one more point here, and then we're going to tie it all together. He says, delighted to share. This is part of it. And I started to think about this. This is why I wanted to put this one last, even though it probably could have been first. Is that this gospel, which means good news, they were delighted to share it with them. But then they were also delighted to share with them like their lives, eating together, doing things together, you know, maybe even sharing their problems. You know, Paul does that kind of stuff in his letters. He's not two different people, like one when he's performing and one when he's with everybody. He's the same guy. He's sharing his life with them. They would know, you know. And the, the attitude of being delighted is the first thing. Like, it wasn't a drudgery. It was like something he wanted to do, you know. And it made him happy. He was delighted, you know. But then let's focus on this word share. This is the thing that stuck out to me the most. And it made me think of two non-existent words, which would be focusing on being the sharer and the sharee, <laughs> and, uh, which, is not, which are not words, but for the sake of today, we're going to use them. Because I think when you look at this, you can't share something by yourself. I mean, right? It takes at least a sharer and a sharee. And uh, <laughs> what does that bother you? <laughs> oh, Sherry. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I won't do that. Um, no, the, the, the important thing is that, this is a, that, that you can't do this by yourself. You can't share anything with yourself. You can't share something to yourself. You can't be a Christian person totally by yourself. Christianity is, is a, it, this is something we practice together, and it requires all the parts of the body to be doing it. And it's important now because as our culture does become more and more fragmented, and I don't have answers for that. I mean, like, I'm on my phone like everybody else, you know, it, but it's as we become more and more fragmented, you feel that inside you, you know. And it's a, it's a playground for the enemy. You're like, oh, nobody else understands. Nobody else knows. Nobody else. And in this weird hyper-connected world, we feel super disconnected from each other. It's like it doesn't make any sense. And so this word is like, okay, if we're going to talk about this at least once a year on the first Sunday of the year, you know, which we'll see next year if we remember, <laughs> you know, but that's our intent. Maybe this year what we should focus on is the word share. Um, at least consider that because it's the one that stuck out to me the most. This takes two people. It's not something... You can do by yourself. And then I thought about what they were sharing. In order to share something, to be the sharer in this context, you got to have something to share. And in order to be a sharee, <laughs> you, you have to receive it. And that might seem like obvious and dumb, but I think that it's, uh, it's important because I think some of us don't have anything to share. And I don't just mean like stuff. I mean, we might not have anything to share. And some of us have too much pride to receive anything from anyone. And again, I don't just mean stuff. It does include stuff, but I mean, you know. And that just puts that wall up, 
you know, when we say like, well, we feel disconnected and da 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 da, and this is like, it's it's impenetrable till you decide to not do it. Kayla or Justin or whoever, y'all can come up. I'm I'm wrapping this up. And so, you could see how this verse coming from Paul, who's like a church leader guy who started a church thing, could jump out to a young pastor, Jeff, who's going to start a church as like, that's good instructions for you, right? Like, you're going to do something like this. I don't know, I'm not I'm putting words in his mouth, you know, but it's like, this is a good thing. Like, this is how you should approach people when you're doing things. Share the gospel with them and share your life with them, you know. But what happens, and what happened, I was here for all of it, is this becomes how our church exists, good and bad. I mean, we haven't like, it's not like everything we've done has been perfect, but the idea is this is how we live. This is how we exist. It's not a, a instruction manual for people like me and Kevin on how to relate to everybody else. It's an instruction or a reminder, really, for all of us on how to relate to each other. And really what stuck out to me was the sharing. Because that's a vulnerable thing <clears throat> on both sides. If you share something, even an idea, like whenever we think through these things, it's always like an idea. But even if it was just like a gift, I mean, <laughs> I don't know about you guys. I don't really like the whole present opening thing. It's not my... I feel it's weird because I don't feel uncomfortable standing up here right now, but I feel very uncomfortable when everybody's watching me open a present. I'm like, oh, good, this is great. You know, I don't like that. But the, uh, um, why did I bring that up? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, the, uh, if, if you give, like if I gave Brie a gift and she doesn't like it, that could bother me. If she feels weird. I feel everything's weird. You know, it's, it's just not something fun. And um, ideas or your heart or needs or life can be that way. You know, like I, I, I share something with somebody and they're like, okay, now it's, now it's weird and I don't like you anymore. And you're like, oh, that's great. You know, and, or the other way around, or now I look down on you or you, I feel like you might look down on me, so don't do it or all this kind of stuff. And it creates this false person that we carry around and perform for everybody else. You know, nope, everything's fine. You know, and there's things most of us do and things some of us do and things that you do that I don't do because your life experience is different than mine, you know? And nobody in this room is intuitive enough to see through all of that, you know? And many, it wouldn't even be right to be like, just walk around and call everybody a liar. You know, like, you're pretending again. You know, it's not that simple, you know? But we can choose, uh, at least in here, in safe places with safe people, to share our true selves and then just see what happens because you have this gospel which like I said it's the way to be saved but it also affects everything else and everything else all reality everything you can see touch feel think and it touches other people as well and I know this, like, it doesn't say theoretical. If you get going, you can read the rest of this. This book is not very long. You could probably read it in 10 minutes. I don't know, maybe it's 50, whatever, you know. But I, I, if you were like, okay, I like what you're saying. I like this verse. This is cool. I'm glad it's on the wall. 
I want to do a share your love and gospel and I want to do all that, you know, gospel and life thing. How do I kind of do that? Like, you're right. We live in an anti-Christian hostile world and I feel like people are against us and they are. Like, there's people in this world right now in our country that literally would like us to not be doing this kind of thing. That's fine for them to want that. Doesn't mean we have to hate them or else the enemy wins and we're liars. So you're like, well, well, then what do we do then? Like, like how, like literally, like what do I do? Like I get up tomorrow. What do you want? Like, what am I supposed to do with this that actually means anything other than just being? That's a really nice verse. We'll talk about it again in a year. Well, Paul actually starts to get into some of this stuff. Very practical instruction. Like, all right, guys. So let's do this, right? You know, he does say some other things, but he gets into you know this uh, instructions in verse four. You know, he clears up some things about Jesus coming back and stuff. And then he gets into some practical instructions, which I think we can really hold on to these, okay? Um, the first one's a little surprising, I think, but let me just read it. First Thessalonians 4. How do we do this kind of sharing gospel and life thing? As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instruct you how to live in order to please God. We instructed you on how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you to ur- hold on. We ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And then he starts like, let's let's kind of get into that. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, which means living a holy life. Like you can't claim one thing and live another way. Or if you do and you share your life with people, they might notice. They might be like, aren't you a Christian person? Should you really be stealing then? You know, these kinds of things. But he gives us, he starts listing some stuff. And his first one, which he takes a whole paragraph to talk about, he goes, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, you might go, well, our, our culture's become so sexualized with all this stuff that's happening, mean, da 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 on the internet. And this is Paul, 2,000 years ago, that's his first on the list. And then he goes, like, I skipped it, but he, like, goes into it. It's a pretty good detail. He's like, don't live like the pagans do. Like, that's not, that's, that's a good step one, you know? Don't look at this stuff. Don't do these things. Don't think this way. Don't be led around by lust like everybody else. It's, it's, it's important that we live differently because we're bearing God's name now. And we are his ambassador, just like these guys were. Like, you're the ones. You're the ones that are carrying the message. So act like it. we got to act like it. Be sanctified. And then he goes down after talking about sexual immorality for a long time. He says, now about your love for one another. We do not need to write you. He means, I know you guys love each other. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters... To do so, do so more and more. Make it your ambition. Oh, so, yeah. so loving. Remember, we loved you so much. That being the, the fuel. He's saying, I know you love each other. I'm urging you to love each other more. And I would say the same thing here. Like, guys, I know we love each other. But let's love each other more. And here's some really good instruction, all right? You, you could put this in, say, on Facebook at the end of one of these things, Okay. Or maybe not. You might not be able to do this. It says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business 
What was that? <laughs> Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Does that sound like getting a whole lot of followers and likes and such and all that stuff everybody talks about? Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You'd be like, well, hold on, dude. You didn't know that we were going to have the things we have now, you know, and the ways to express ourselves, you know. And he's like, you should mind your own business. Well, hold on a minute. Like, there's a lot of things I care about in this world. He's like, are there any of your business at all? And work with your hands. Do something. Just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders so that you will not be dependent on anybody. I'm going to read that whole thing together again without me messing, messing with it. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders so that you will not be dependent on anybody. I think, just like these guys 2,000 years ago who live in an anti-Christian environment, so much so that it started a mob that tried to, you know, maybe kill them, whatever, at least arrest them or something. Paul had to flee. And Paul's instructions to them is leave a quiet life, stay out of other people's business, and do good things, and people will notice. And you'll earn their respect then you can share with them the gospel in your lives as well because they know that you're not all talk. The amount of Christian leaders that keep falling from all of these things, frankly, most of them sexual immorality. Maybe that's why I talked about it. Like, you keep hearing like another one. It's like, oh, you go, I was like, okay, that guy too. Like, what? You know? Well, I think we got, maybe, and maybe you guys don't think about this stuff this way, but maybe we got put to sleep that these guys were going to be the ones that would do this thing, you know, make it work, reach the world or whatever. And I think the whole time God was like, no, it's always you guys. It's always us. It's always just the normal people. And here's how you're going to do it. Some of it is lead a quiet life. I think I can handle that. Mind your own business. That's hard, but I think we can handle that. And work with your hands. Do something. That might be All we need to change the whole world. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. There's been a theme of all the things we've done as a church for the last 20 years. All the good things we've done as a church for the last 20 years. And I hope it is for 20 more or however many more, you know. But I want us all to own it. It's not my thing. You know, this isn't something God even spoke to me. It's something I inherited from somebody else. And it's something we're inheriting as well. And it's in the Bible. It's for all Christian people. But I think it's a clear instruction for us of how we can really make a difference in this world. And one more quick thing. When you hear... I'll just say it this way. Why don't we start by sharing whatever it is we have. Because I think that, especially if you're 
analytical, you might decide what sharing the gospel in your life means. Or you might like, um, well, that's not sharing the gospel, but that is. And that's not sharing your life, but that is, you know, this kind of thing. And maybe that's pr productive, but I don't, I don't tend to think so. What I mean is that if you are a follower of Jesus and you share, it'll come out somehow. Other people will notice. But you might not notice what they notice. You see what I'm saying? If I try to package it, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go talk you know, to Brandon, so I'm going to say the kind of things he's interested in. Or You know what I'm saying? And then he's like, what is he doing? Like, This is really weird. It's like, I'm like a really bad version of me trying to impress him. You follow what I'm saying? Or something like that. But if I just talk, he may or may not like it, but he'd at least go, oh, but something else would stick out. I remember hearing a story by somebody a long time ago. This was a weird story. Uh, they came to our church for a while, and uh, this was years ago. And they said, you know why I stayed at this church? And I was like, no, I don't. I don't have any idea. And usually people come back and they say, well, it's because Pastor Jeff's so awesome and the Word of God. Or some other answer like that. I'm like, yeah, that's true, I guess. You know, it's fine. The music's so, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> and he said to me, uh, this was at that time, he was like, when I came up to the church at the front door, there was a whole lot of people hanging out there smoking. And I was like, and like that's the and he was like well at the time i was like really dealing with smoking you know i knew i didn't want to do it anymore it was bad for my health but i thought right and i actually thought it was kind of a bad thing i was like we got this like <laughs> this is like the main <laughs> the main front of our church and there's like six guys out there smoking you know and it was like a cloud of you know and not that it's like you know whatever it was just it was just awkward you know you're like hey can y'all like go over there and not right here you know and um so then this guy comes and he's like, oh, okay. Because if people are comfortable enough to actually be themselves, maybe I could fit in. And I was like, now, if I had done what I was saying about trying to police the sharing, I would have been like, certainly that needs to be like, <laughs> you see what I mean? Now that's just a metaphor, but I said that weird. That's just a metaphor, but you can understand that for yourself. You know, it might be that by sharing your life, that somehow the smoking part ends up to bring somebody in. You just don't know. So, But Jesus has a way of redeeming things that goes far beyond anything we can ask, think, or imagine. So let me pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to live into this verse in this year, that we might see ourselves in it. Challenged, maybe, but empowered by your Holy Spirit, not just stumbling around in the darkness. We know that you are good. We know that you are healing the world. We know that you are restoring broken hearts. We know that you are moving in our lives. We know that you're moving in this place. And we know that you have not left us or forsaken us. And we know that you have things for us to do. I pray that you would help us to be people defined by love, sharing with each other the gospel and the life that you bring and sharing our lives with each other so that uh, you can reach out and grab even more and more people, Lord, with your love and your healing. I pray that you would help us to um, lead quiet lives and be content with that. I pray that you would teach us what a quiet life is. I pray right now specifically 
for the men in the congregation, those of we feel driven or need to accomplish or need to provide, Lord, we know that you put that in us and that's a good thing. And I pray that you would help us to steward that in a way that is honoring of you and gives uh, some version of a quiet life, Lord, whatever that means. No more anxiety about those things, but a quiet life, an internally quiet life. Lord, I pray that you would help us to mind our own business. Give us a sense of what our business is and what it is not. I do specifically, especially pray for that in our online world, that we would know, that I would know, that everyone here would know when something's our business and when it isn't. When it's something that's glorifying you and it's something that isn't. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live sanctified lives in all of the things that we do, holy lives that are honoring of your name that we bear, we claim to bear. And Lord, I pray that you would give us work to do with our hands, both as a group, as a church, as individuals, as families, that we would know what the work is that we have to do, our daily lives, Lord, that this isn't, this following Jesus Christian thing is not a Sunday morning thing. This is a life. This is the, it touches everything. Lord, that you would show us how to be a Christian person in the environment of our daily lives, no matter how anti-Christian they may be. We would know how to live as a light into darkness. And Father, I pray that we would more than anything be defined by the love that you have when you prayed as the Father loved me and I've loved him that you would love each other Lord I pray that we would be defined by that and I ask for forgiveness Lord for where we've failed you I pray that this year would be um, maybe an out with the old and an in with the new that you could use someone like Paul to do something like this that you could use somebody like us as well Jesus' name. Amen. Kayla is going to lead us in a